uh, experience. <laughs> no pressure, right? Um, I'd just like to open up in prayer this morning, and then uh, we'll get into the lesson. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being so big as we sang in the song, and as we'll look here even in the message. I pray that you'd bless this opportunity for everyone involved. Father, we want your glory, we want the health of this church, and we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, glorify yourself and give me the Holy Spirit to speak only what you want me to. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 this morning. The entire chapter. Don't get too scared by that. Uh, it's three different stories, but they all kind of go together. And we're going to look at these three stories today. And the title of this lesson is going to be the Lord is bigger than the scary. As the song we were singing is, the Lord is bigger than, what is it, my life, my fire? What was it? Uh, what was it? The air I breathe. We're going to look at how the bigness of God today in the context of scary situations. And we live in a scary world, don't we? It's just honest. Things are scary around us. Actually, you could even say that things are getting scarier in this world, which is scary to think about. Um... Before we get into the text, I have a little bit of a story in light of that. Uh, this story is simply called The Encounter. Okay, So listen to this story. It says there was a man who was a deathly afraid of spiders. Anyone else? Spiders? Okay. This man was deathly afraid of spiders. It says during the events of one specific night on a camping trip with his friends, his arachnophobia came front and center. So I'm, I'm sorry if this terrifies you. <laughs> It ends well, I can tell you that. Um, the three men, he and his two friends, had purchased three tents for their week-long camping trip in the woods. The trip had gone smoothly with no hiccups until the night before they were supposed to leave for home. The campfire they had used that night for playing cards was just about burned out, and so the man and his two friends decided to head back to their tents for their final night's sleep. As the man entered his tent for the night, he did his usual routine of reading his book for a half hour by flashlight before he went to sleep. Just as he went to put his book away, however, to get into his sleeping bag for the night, he saw the worst sight he had ever imagined. Creeping slowly into his tent was the biggest spider he had ever laid eyes on. He placed the light from his flashlight right onto the spider, and this wasn't the ordinary daddy long legs or house spider. This spider had clearly visible fangs. It was hairy and dark, and it had one of those walks where it moved every leg individually. The spider crept closer and closer toward him. The man was paralyzed. They say in a moment of danger that fight or flight will kick in, but this man could not move. He was paralyzed with fear. Even if he wanted to run, the spider was directly in, the front, in front of the only entrance to his tent. The massive spider appeared to have lunch on his mind, the human flesh kind. The moment the man had dreaded his entire life was here. His many nightmares had come true. He had spent his entire life avoiding spiders. How could he, have be, how could he be so stupid as to go camping in the woods? He was surely doomed, he thought. He was convinced the spider was going to bite him, inject venom into him. He would probably be the worst pain he had ever felt. He would eventually black out and then die right there in his tent, alone. <laughs> Sad, right? Finally, the man began to, began to inch closer away from the spider until he was pinned against the back side of the tent. Time seemed to slow down and almost stop. The spider was not deviating. It crept closer and closer toward him. And with every movement, the spider appeared to be bigger and more terrifying than it was before. The end was near. The man was surely going to die. I'm going to show you a little bit of 
This is the spider we're talking about here. <laughs> um, the man was surely going to die, he thought. Just then he heard a sound. Do spiders make noise, he thought. The sound was like a low rumble or a growl. It wasn't coming from the spider, of course. So the man listened closely. He realized the sound was behind him. It grew nearer and nearer. It indeed was a growl. The earth around him began to shake. The light of his flashlight, which was fixed upon the spider, suddenly showed a shadow growing behind him. The massive towering shadow enveloped his tent. The growl he heard was now unmistakable. It was a bear, a very large bear. The man then remembered that he had his backpack open in his tent. He was snacking while he had read, and the bear must have picked up the scent. Are we going to have palpitations up here? <laughs> the bear was now right behind him. If he could feel the claws of the bear as the bear groped around for a way into his tent. Suddenly, the bear began to grab and shake the tent and let out a truly awful growl. The man leapt to his feet and ran as fast as he could toward the entrance of the tent. As he ran, he shouted for his two friends to flee also. The scene was chaotic, but as he ran, as he ran, his friends caught up with him in the woods. They all sprinted toward the parking lot and rushed into the car and quickly locked the doors. They peeled out so fast that the sound of rubber hitting the pavement screeched loudly. As they drove away, they looked back towards their tents. The bear had made its way into the man's tent, and the tent was now completely destroyed. They had narrowly escaped a frenzied bear attack. The man breathed for the first time in several moments. He was safe. But suddenly he remembered the spider. <laughs> Where was it? He had gotten so concerned about the bear, he had forgotten all about the spider. Terror immediately filled his heart again. What if it had bit him and he didn't notice? He nervously began to check and search his body. But gladly he found no bite marks or any, any marks at all from the spider anywhere on his body. In relief, the man took another deep breath. As they all drove towards home, the, man, the men all talked and even laughed some about their narrow escape from the bear. But the man, not wanting to needlessly embarrass himself, kept his little incident with the spider to himself. As the man arrived home and went into his house, he noticed he wasn't even wearing his boots. In his panic, he had left everything in his tent. As he went to take off his socks, he noticed something alarming. The bottom of his sock was covered in spider guts. <laughs> little hairs and legs and some sort of spider goo was all over his sock. Now, normally a sight like that would have made his heart jump, and he would have tossed the sock so far from him, he never would have found it again. But he didn't this time. He just stared at his sock and began to laugh. He thought about the scene he had endured. Only moments before the bear came, the man could only think about his fear of the spider. The bear had actually done him a huge favor that night. The bear had caused such a panic in this man's heart that, it, that as he fled the bear, he also trampled the massive spider to death. Not only did the spider not harm him, not harm him, but his phobia was gone, or instead it was replaced. He was now deathly afraid of bears. <laughs> From that point on, every time the man encountered a spider, he chuckled a little and remembered the bear. Spiders didn't bother him anymore. He would just calmly grab them with a tissue and discard them outside. Yet the man moved far away from bear country and never went camping again. The moral of the story is plainly obvious. In a battle between a spider and a bear, kill the spider and flee the bear. The man's perspective was forever changed that night. On a side note, if you can, imagine the spider's viewpoint that night. Could anything be more terrifying than a large human fleeing from a bear in your direction? <laughs> so... It's a little story about fear, okay? We're all scared of some things. I talked, I think I, even last time I was here, I talked about phobias. I'm not going to bring that up anymore. But 
I want to now direct our attention to Mark chapter 5, because in this chapter there are three stories that are all dealing with very scary situations. So if you can turn there, if you're not there yet, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read the entire text, and then I'm going to slow down a little bit and look at each story a little bit. It won't be too long, hopefully. So Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read the entire text from the English Standard Version. It says this, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, and among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there in the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. As they came to Jesus, they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might come with him. But Jesus did not permit him and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy he had upon you. As he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, everyone marveled. Verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again to the boat, uh, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, he fell down at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. Now a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and spent all her money, and had, had been made no better, but had, in fact grew much worse. She heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in him that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear, trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they all laughed at him. But he put them all aside and, and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. It's a lot. I know that's a lot. That's three stories right in a row of, of terrifying situations. And we're going to break them down here a little bit. And what I'm going to do, if you have your sheet there, I'm going to look at three different points from each because they all kind of have a parallel here. There's details of the scary situation. We'll look at that. Secondly, there's the scary versus Jesus. And then after that, in each story, there's the reaction to Jesus' victory. And we're going to pause and look at those very briefly. So follow along as we go along here. So story number one, there's a demon-possessed man in this region, in this town. Okay. A few points we find out about this is really terrifying. The first thing is it says the demon-possessed man lived among the tombs, the graveyard, the cemetery. I mean, that's, that's creepy detail number one is if you had a man living in your neighborhood and was always hanging out at the graveyard, or I said to you, hey, let's go hang out, and we always went to the graveyard, that's creepy, right? That's not a good thing. So that's creepy detail number one. He's living among the dead. And it makes sense because we know he's demon-possessed, but I don't think initially these people understood that. Uh, next it says, day and night, so all the time, in the tombs and on the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And that's terrifying, right? So this man is clearly out of his mind. He's living in the tombs. He's yelling out, yelling, shouting, crying out, and he's cutting himself with stones day and night. And if that was in your neighborhood, if that was on your street, that would be terrifying. And I can only imagine this scene. But it goes on. And, and this is where we find out he's not just an out-of-his-mind out of man. This man has supernatural abilities. It says no one had the strength to subdue this man, which tells me they tried. They tried to subdue this man and was, were unable to do so. Uh, he could not remain bound even with shackles and chains. He would often wrench the chains apart and break the shackles into pieces. I mean, this is like a Marvel movie here, right? This is like the Incredible Hulk. All of a sudden, these people are realizing this man has supernatural strength. And my, my, this is conjecture, but I'm imagining they're getting their strongest men, right? All their big guys and saying, let's go get this guy out of our region. This guy's got to go. So let's get all the biggest guys we have and let's go after this demon-possessed guy and let's get him out of here. Well, they tried and he was stronger than they were. So they finally get these chains and these shackles around him and he just busts through them like they weren't even there, like rubber bands. And so now what do you do? You just live with a guy, I guess. You, you either move or you just live with this guy in your graveyard, on your mountains, crying out and cutting himself with stones. But one more detail here, even before we get, the, get to the encounter with Jesus. Jesus eventually asks this guy his name, and I don't think he's talking to the man. I think he's talking to the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who answers Jesus and says, My name is Legion, 
for we are many. Legion means many soldiers, thousands of soldiers. And this isn't a physical thing. Again, this is a spiritual soldier of the evil nature. Thousands of demons are inside this man. And you can understand why he's so powerful now, why he's so strong. It's not even one demon. It's thousands of demons. You ever met anybody really scary? Ever had a scary encounter with a person? I had one once. Um, <laughs> I don't think I caused this situation, but I might have and didn't know it. Road rage, anybody? <laughs> um, I was driving home one night from work, and it was night. It, was, it must have been you know fall or winter because it got dark pretty quick. Um, so it was nighttime. And I, I must have done something because I made someone very, very upset with me. And all of a sudden, there is a person right on my tail, and he's putting his flashlight, his flashers on, and he's flashing me over and over, and he's right behind me. And I'm realizing at this moment, what is happening? Who is this guy? You know, and I'm, I'm trying to, like, act like it's no big deal, like I slow down a little bit and, you know, seeing if he'll go around me and simply, you know, the issue will be over. Doesn't happen. If I slow down, he slows down. If I speed up, he speeds up. He's right on my tail. And so now I realize I have a little bit of a maniac behind me. Anybody been that maniac? <laughs> um, so this guy, I, you know, my exit's coming up, and I'm thinking, well, hopefully if I get off my exit, this man will just continue on, and, you know, whatever issue he had with me will be over. Well, no, that's not what happened. I get off my exit, and so does he, and he is right behind me the entire way. And, you know, I'm, I'm going off the exit. I'm getting off to where we, where, near where we live. And you know what they tell you? If you're ever followed by someone, don't go home. So I went to my friend's house. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I think I was going there anyways. I don't remember that detail quite. But I was going to my friend's house. And so this man, every move I made, made the same move. And now I, now I was getting scared. I was getting nervous. I was wondering, what is this man capable of? Uh, and I, I didn't want to fight. I didn't want any, any issues. So I went to my friend's house. And I think I was dropping something off or picking something up for my friend. And so my friend is actually waiting outside of his house for me while I pull up and this lunatic pulls up next to me. And now we have like an encounter. Now we have like an issue. This guy is now, he didn't get out of his car, thankfully. But he's shouting profanity. He's very, very upset. He tells me, I got your license plate number. You're in big trouble. I didn't know what that meant. What's he going to key my car? Um, but it was a scary situation, you know? And I thought, well, what is this guy capable of? He's going to follow me home and then he's going to look me up based on my license plate number. I can remember my heart beating fast that night going, wow, this is a scary situation. And yet it's nothing compared to the, what these people were facing. These people are facing thousands of demons inside of a man in their neighborhood. And they can't even get him out. They can't even wrestle him down and keep chains on him because he breaks them apart like they're not even there. The stage has to be set for you to understand what happens next. Because now the scary encounters Jesus. And this is where it gets really cool. It says in the passage that the demon-possessed man sees Jesus from afar and you have to imagine, I think the man is on the tombs and in the mountains. He's probably above where Jesus is. And from my understanding of the text, it looks like Jesus is, is pulling up onto shore in a boat. And maybe by this point hadn't even got out of the boat. And the man locks eyes with Jesus. And I'm guessing, again, it's not physical seeing physical. Because Jesus really had no identifying marks. He didn't have any kingly garb or anything like that. He's just a man, a poor man, getting out of a boat. 
and yet the spirits know who Jesus is. And they're locking eyes with Jesus. And this is what they do. They run towards him. And if you're reading this text for the first time, we read the entire thing, so you know what happens. But you're probably imagining, oh, we got ourselves a fight here. We got thousands of demons versus Jesus. This is going to be pretty good. This is going to be a good fight. You know, like the, the NBA finals are going on right now. Sometimes you get the World Series, the best against the best. Let's see who we got here. And sometimes you imagine with Jesus and the devil, it's kind of like this arm wrestle strength, you know, back and forth. This is where the story takes an interesting turn. The demon-possessed man runs toward Jesus and falls on his face before him because he recognized that Jesus is the son of the most high God. And he realized for the first time, he's bigger than us. He's stronger than we are. And the demon falls down. And one of the other translations says he worships him. He worships Jesus in only a way I guess a demon can, but uh, not the true kind of worship. But now the demon is prostrate before the Son of God. And, and, and I get this idea that Jesus steps out of the boat and is kind of just taken aback by this guy that comes up near him and is on his face. I don't think Jesus was, was having the same interaction right away. It just kind of startled him that this man is here, now falling down before him. But the man obviously, Jesus obviously knows this is a demon-possessed man. And he commands the demons to come out of the man. Come out. I have authority over you. Come out right now. <laughs> and the reaction from the demon is interesting. He's pleading with Jesus. He's begging Jesus. He's on his face asking for mercy from Jesus. Isn't that a cool scene? Isn't that a cool scene for thousands of demons to be so strong and so scary and in a moment really, really scared of the Lord and what he's capable of doing? And they beg him to do three things. First one is don't torment us. We know what you're capable of, Jesus. Don't send us where you can send us. Hades? Hell? Jesus has the keys to death and Hades? He could throw him into Hades, where the fire is. Don't do that, Jesus. Please, don't send us to Hades. Don't torment us. They're begging Jesus in unison. A really wild scene. They're also uh, begging Jesus to not make them leave the area. And the only thing, reason I can guess is they were doing a lot of great harm there and liked, liked the area. They liked what they were able to do there. Um, and so finally they come to this like understanding. Okay, Jesus is obviously going to cast this out. We're not going to be allowed to stay. So Jesus, instead of tormenting us, we have a plan. Those pigs over there would be a great place for us to reside. Cast us into the pigs. And on the, like, on the slope here, on the little ledge here, are 2,000 pigs. So it's very possible, if not probable, there are 2,000 demons or close to it. And they're saying, cast us into the pigs and let us go there instead of tormenting us. And Jesus grants them permission and says, go. Go into the pigs. You know, pigs were kind of an unclean animal. That's where the demons want to be, either with the tombs or with the pigs. Um, I don't know why Jesus allows them to go there. As a guess, I'm wondering that maybe Jesus wanted to test the people of the area, which they'd rather have, their pigs or Jesus. Maybe. And it's an interesting reaction they're going to have here. But, but Jesus first allows them to go into the pigs, and they rush down the mountain into the sea and are drowned. And that's it. Scary situation over with. What was so scary for weeks and months and years probably in an instant is over because Jesus came to town. <laughs> and I like that. I like thinking that Jesus is bigger than the demons. 
He's bigger than the scariest person or spirit you've ever met. And in a moment, he casts them into the pigs, and the pigs are drowned into the sea. So what happens here? There's a reaction. The people of the region come to where Jesus is, and they see the demon-possessed guy, except they see him totally different. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. I picture the guy going, hey, guys, what's going on? How's life? How's the family? You know, how are you guys doing lately? And they're like, what? Who is this guy? You know, for the first time, he's in his right mind, and now they're afraid. And do you remember the story about the spider and the bear? The spider was terrifying until the bear came. And again, this, this might be conjecture, but I'm guessing they're afraid of Jesus. Because of the power they saw that they weren't able to subdue, they weren't able to bind with chains and shackles, Jesus, in an instance, finishes it. Acts like it's not even there. And they're afraid of Jesus now. And there's a good kind of fear for Christ. There is. There's a good and a bad kind. This might be the bad kind. Because what they do is they beg Jesus to leave their region. We don't want you here, Jesus. We understand you're incredibly powerful. Please leave. And that's an odd reaction, right? That's a sad reaction. It should be like, wow, Jesus, thank you for what you did. Can we go wherever you're going? We want to be on your team. Because if you have that kind of power, we want to be on that team. They ask him to take a hike. Jesus does. He's not going to stay where he's not welcomed. And while he's getting in the boat to leave and go to the other side of the sea, the man who was demon-possessed has a reaction too. A lot of begging here for Jesus. He begs Jesus to let him go with him. That's a proper reaction, isn't it? That's a proper reaction to salvation. Jesus, wherever you're going, I want to go. I'm there too. And Jesus says, not this time. No, you're not going to go with me this time. What I want you to do is I want you to be my testimony. I want you to stay where you belong, stay where you're from, and I want you to tell all your friends about me. All your friends about what I did for you. And so he does. He obeys. Just like you should after salvation has been given to you. And this time, his friends marvel at the testimony of Jesus. Some interesting reactions there, aren't they? But the thing I want to really focus in on is the scary versus Jesus. Before, it's the most terrifying thing you've ever encountered. And when Jesus comes, it's nullified. It's awesome. It's supposed to be awesome. And I've marveled at this story for years. I, I wish it was taught more. I wish people would write about it or make a movie about it because it's, it's quite incredible. Um, my, my goal here is to not make you feel bad about any fears that you have. My goal is to exalt the Lord and to realize how small those fears should be in context, in comparison to Christ. Again, we have to touch briefly on these, so let's go to the next story here. The next scary situation is a dying daughter. Very different than the demon-possessed man, but quite as scary. This man, Jairus, the ruler of the Jewish synagogue, has a daughter who's very near death, at death's door. And we find out later in the text that she's 12 years old. 12 and she's going to die. She's going to die unless something happens. Um, I have five children. My children are five and under. Um, Haddon is almost six. So we've had our, we've had our, uh, ver- we've had our uh, version of scary with some of these children. I'll give you a little bit of one. Um, Levi, one of our twins, he's an identical twin. Uh, he's four now, but when he was one years old, 
one-year-old, he, uh, he had a cold. He had, like, cold symptoms, which isn't a big deal, of course. But we also noticed he still had a soft spot on his head, and it was, it was swollen a little bit. It was, like, puffed out. And we hadn't seen that before. That, that's not normal. So we decided we needed to take him into the pediatrician. And so we brought little Levi into the pediatrician just to be safe. And the pediatrician's looking him over. His symptoms aren't that bad, but he has the swollen soft spot. And so she's kind of touching at it, looking at it, and going. And she finally says, I don't think it's this, but we need to be careful. This is a classic sign for meningitis. <laughs> this daughter is 12. My son at that time was one. And we're finding out he might have meningitis. Maybe not, possibly not, but could be. So she said, my advice to you is take him immediately to the hospital and let him go through an array of tests to find out if he has meningitis. Urine, blood, CT scan, and maybe a spinal tap on your one-year-old son. <laughs> that was scary. That was a scary day. I don't, I don't know how you would have felt right at that moment, but it's like my heart sank, and I just I imagined what he was going to go through. I imagined the scary of possibly finding out he has meningitis. But what do you do? you got to take your son. You can't just go home and hope he doesn't have meningitis and let it play out. So we have to take him to the hospital. And they took us to the ER version area of the hospital because I guess that's the best place to do some of these tests. And they have to take blood. And you can imagine how that went with a one-year-old um, realizing some scary person is coming at me with a needle. And that went really slowly, <laughs> unfortunately. And Levi was not entertained by any of the song and dance we were trying to do to help him stay distracted. It wasn't working. Um, but then they had to take Levi into the CT scan, CAT scan. And basically, you know, for a normal person, you lay down and they like kind of like, you know, send you into this like kind of like a cave so they can examine your head. Well, Levi, they knew he's one year old. He's going to flail and, and, and stuff like that. So they had to strap his head down. And only one person could go in with him. And I decided I was going to beat the person. So I had to go in and hold my son down strap his head in and he's freaking out he doesn't know has no idea what's going on and then i let go and i'm stepping away from him and then they send him into this little uh cave where his head is going to be taking pictures and really it's only a couple minutes maybe even a few seconds i don't remember how long it is but it felt like an eternity and levi is terrified well it comes out it wasn't really that long it comes out of the ct scan and then they sent us to the children's wing of the hospital because now he has to wait to see if he needs a spinal tap a third test to see if he has meningitis, a scary one. And so we go to the children's wing of this hospital, and his parents were, you know, you're going worst case scenario. You're trying not to, but especially as the dad, I'm kind of built that way. I'm kind of like, okay, what's the worst in case we have to deal with it? So I'm already in my mind going worst case scenario, worst case scenario. And so finally the lady comes in. It was a long wait. And my mind isn't working properly at this moment. And she comes in and says these words. She says, we sent the CT scan down to a brain surgeon in Danville. All I heard was brain surgeon. And I'm thinking, I know what that is. Surgery on the brain. And I, guys, I got lightheaded. I, I, I almost fainted. I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, I couldn't imagine that maybe my son would have to have brain surgery at one year old. That's not what she was saying. Somehow Janine translated it properly. I did not. I was not in the right frame of mind here. <laughs> And she goes, no, 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 sir. He evaluated the test. That's all we're talking about. He looked at your son. He doesn't have meningitis. You can go home. And it was over. 
And what went from the incredibly scary situation in a moment was over. Now the stage is set. Okay, for the dying daughter. Go back to the text here. The daughter is not only dying, but Jesus, while he's making his way to the daughter, gets distracted by our third story, and the daughter dies. So remember the worst case scenario with my son and meningitis? Well, this time it actually happened. The, the girl dies. She goes from being very, very close to death to dying. It's over. And they come up to Jairus and say, listen, don't bother the teacher anymore. There's nothing he can do. It's over. Don't bother him anymore. And Jesus looks at Jairus and says, believe. Believe. I have authority. Believe. So, he does. Jairus has great faith. And so Jesus continues on. And, and story three kind of interrupts here, but we're going to continue to look at story two here. When Jesus finally arrives, this is the scary versus Jesus. He finds a dead daughter. And everybody's weeping and crying because she's dead. And Jesus says, what's the issue? She's only asleep. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And everybody laughs at him. And I think it's kind of like a ridicule kind of thing. Like, really, Jesus? Either you're, you're dense or that's a really bad joke. She's not sleeping. She's dead. Jesus knew she was dead. He wasn't making a, a wrong diagnosis. But Jesus understood who, what he can do, what he's capable of. And as the people laugh at him, he takes the little girl by the hand and says this phrase to her. And in a moment, she's alive. And she raises from the dead and starts walking around. And Jesus proves something there. Not only can I cure the really, really sick near death, I can raise the dead. I have authority over the dead. I can cast out demons, 2,000 of them, and I can raise the dead. Jesus is bigger than the scary. And in this situation, the people are overcome with amazement. What? You know, people use that phrase a lot. You know, the jaw hits the floor. I'm guessing it was pretty close that day. Going, what did we just see? Our daughter was dead. She was dead. She was flatlined. And all of a sudden, walking, talking, acting like no, nothing ever happened to her. <laughs> and mind blown. But they witnessed something about Jesus going, wow, he can raise the dead. He is big. He is powerful. He is loving. And he has all authority over anything and everything. Quickly, story number three. This is the one where that interrupts story number two that allows the daughter to die. And I think Jesus was even sovereign over that because he knew even if she dies, I can handle this. But story number three interjects into story number two. And in this situation, Jesus is moving about the region and he's got this massive crowd of people around him. You know, as, as you would expect if something incredibly famous came to your town, a lot of people would want to see that person. So Jesus is that famous person and he's a huge crowd around Jesus and this woman is in the crowd who's had this discharge of blood for 12 years straight. I'm not going to go into any more details. I'm sure you can guess what she, what she has. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And she has gone to many physicians. She spent all her money. They actually not only didn't they heal her, they made her worse, caused her much suffering. And this woman is desperate, absolutely desperate. And she's heard reports about Jesus. That he can do things like feed the 5,000 with a couple loaves and a couple fish. He can change water into wine. He can cure lepers. He can cure the blind. And she thinks 
if I can even touch the fringe of his garment, that's an, there'll be enough power in that to cure what I have. I mean, the incredible faith this woman has. So she does just that. She kind of like moves her way through the crowd, pushes her way through uh, to get close to Jesus, just so she can reach out and touch his garment. And she does exactly that. She gets close enough, touches the fringe of his garment, and in an instant, her sickness is healed. Twelve years of bleeding stopped. And I'm guessing if you had a sickness for 12 years, you would know when that sickness was gone. She knew right at that moment, I'm healed. That's the scary versus Jesus in story number three. One touch, one act of faith, cured. Jesus has authority over the chronically ill. Now the reaction here is actually from Jesus primarily. <laughs> it says Jesus realized power went out of him. You guys ever have a cell phone battery and you see it go from like 100% you know, to 90%? That's kind of a weird analogy, but I'm picturing that's kind of how Jesus felt going, wait a minute. I feel less powerful than I did before. <laughs> Something happened here. And he goes, he kind of asked this confrontational question, like, who just touched me? That's a confrontational question, right? It's like, I'm imagining everybody backing up like three, four feet going, wasn't me. And the disciples are very confused. They're going, Jesus, who touched you? I mean, you've got a th thousands of people around you right now. I mean, that guy's elbow, that guy's foot, this guy's shoulder. You're being touched all over the place. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm talking about. Somebody touched me with faith. And again, this confrontational question has this woman finally going, I better say something. <laughs> it was me. So she comes before Jesus in terror and falls down before him and is probably thinking, I shouldn't have done that. I didn't have permission to do that. I'm cured. I'm thankful for that. But now what is going to happen to me? So she's, she's filled with terror. She comes before Jesus, falls down before him, and Jesus picks her up. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I'm not mad. I'm not angry at you. You touched me with faith and you're cured. In my paraphrase, I'm bigger than the scary. You did what you should have done. You came to the one who can actually cure you. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Demon possession, a dying, dead daughter, and a chronic illness in an instant, like they were never there. Jesus is bigger than the scary, whatever it is. I looked it up. Most people, when they, when they worry, when they have anxiety, when they are terrified of things, are lying in their own bed from like 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., losing sleep, because of something scary. I've had those moments myself. My applications, which are at the bottom of your sheet, I'm going to go over these quickly as well. As, just like I've said before this entire lesson, whatever scary thing is you're facing, the Lord is substantially bigger than that. He's bigger than the scary. We're plagued by the scary, aren't we? Financial, health, family issues, losing jobs. I mean, over and over and over, things plague us with fear. But it's like that story of the, the bear versus the spider. The spider's no big deal when you get the bear there, right? No one's even thinking about the spider then. Maybe our gaze at Jesus needs to be better than it is. Like the woman, like Jairus with the daughter. Number two, we have nothing to fear if we're on the Lord's side. He's never lost. 
He's never lost. No matter how big the foe has been, and there have been some big ones, he's undefeated. Even over death himself. He raised himself from the dead. Even that couldn't be Jesus. So when we're on his side, we're in very good shape. Number three, just like the woman, just like Jairus, faith in the Lord will win any battle. And the Lord wants us to have faith in him. He wants that. Like the woman who came up to him, she's like, should I not have done that? Was that a bad thing? And he goes, no, that's exactly what you should have done. Come to me in faith and watch me chase away the scary. And I'll even say it this way, number four, the Lord is scarier than the scary. He's scarier. In fact, as you saw from the text, the scary is afraid of Jesus. The scary that terrifies everybody else, you know, like the bully, the bully in the playground, you know, they're really big and tough as long as there's no teachers and no brothers and no parents. But as soon as someone bigger and scarier comes along, they're out of there. Well, that's kind of what it is with Satan. He just wants to make it look like the terror, the foe is much, much bigger, much scarier. And if he could focus you on that, you lose sight of Jesus. But if Jesus is with you and the scary comes, no big deal. The scary is afraid of Jesus. Uh, number five, Jesus has all authority over the evil, over sickness, and even over death, physical and spiritual. Jesus can conquer the dead. Everything bows to Jesus. If you have time this week or tonight, go to Colossians 1, 15 to 23 and just awe at that passage. Everything bows to Jesus. One last illustration. Um, I was watching this documentary on uh, the building of the One World Trade Center. You know, they replaced the Twin Towers when they fell down. They've been building this, I guess, for a decade. It's up now. It's completed. But I was watching. I like documentaries. I just do. And uh, this one was particularly entertaining to me because it was focusing on how they were building this building because, again, they want it strong. They want it secure. They want it safe based on what happened before. So, so they're building this building with their strongest stuff. They're inventing new, really strong stuff that's new kind of concrete uh, that can't really be knocked down. And I'm watching this, and while I'm watching this documentary, I felt really dumb. I'm like, I struggle with toast. You know, I can't even make SpaghettiOs. <laughs> How are they building this building? <laughs> I just felt really dumb. I'm looking at going, man, these guys are so smart. They can build this building, and, and every, everybody has their own kind of thing, and this building has to come together perfectly, and, and it does. There's no sway. It's perfectly built. It's strong. It's secure. And I felt really dumb, and I was, looking, I was kind of awing at the, at the smarts of these guys. And then you, my mind kind of went somewhere deeper, and I thought about creation. <laughs> the Lord spoke the universe into existence. <laughs> Everything we know in this earth and in the planets and the solar system and ourselves, Jesus said, live, exist, and it obeyed him. And then I audit God and go, God is bigger than that. Whatever man can do, God can do much, much more. My last point of application is this, and I think this is the point. I think this is the whole point of knowing this, that the Lord is bigger than the scary. Number six, obey the Lord courageously. Because the Christian life is scary. It is. It's meant to be. When you follow the Lord Jesus and want to obey him, your life will get harder and scarier. And foes will come after you that never came after you before. 
But remember who goes with you. Remember who goes before you. And obey him courageously. Because anything you encounter, Jesus will overcome. Anything. Whatever your mind can imagine, or even worse than that, the Lord has seen it and the Lord has overcome it. And that brings great relief to my soul. It does. That the Lord can conquer any foe if I will simply put my faith in him and follow him. So the Lord is bigger than the scary. I want you to apply that to whatever it is. And I'm guessing there are some in this room that are plagued by some fears and anxieties this week. I have my own things that I'm, sad to say, still terrified of. But I want us to not, not, act, not feel bad about having fears, but I want our gaze at Christ to be greater and better and to look at him and go, what am I to be afraid of? So maybe we can look at Christ better than we did before and remember he goes with us. And if he goes with us, the scary will run from him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this picture this glance that we get of how strong you are, how big you are, how powerful you are, how in control you are. And I know we know that. It's, it's one of those doctrinal things we all agree to. But do we know that practically? Do we believe it? Do we live by that? Help us to, Father. Help us to see Jesus better than we have up to this point so that he can have people who follow him courageously. Greatest men and women we look up to in scripture did that. They did courageous things. Things that we think we could never do. But they didn't do it on their own strength. They did it in the strength that the Lord provides. They did it because of their faith in who he was. Help us, Father, to have that glance and that gaze at you. And to grow our faith so that you would be glorified. And we would be more like Jesus. We, pray you, we praise you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.